You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Does sin break your heart? Does sin trouble you? I think our sin should trouble us. Now, sin's been forgiven, don't get me wrong. We've been forgiven by the cross of Jesus Christ. We are covered by his blood. But does that mean I go out and sin willfully? God forbid. Does that mean I wanna go out and make grace more abound by sinning more and more? God forbid. No, I don't, but sin troubles me, troubles my heart. And when I am in sin and when I find myself in a sin, my heart should be broken. My heart should be in trouble for God. In our current society, we've been taught to relax when it comes to sin. Certain things are seen as bad and other things are described as not a big deal. In today's message, Pastor Dave wants you to know that you need to hate sin just as Jesus does. If you want to turn your life around and truly change, say no to sin. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Nehemiah chapter 9 as he begins his message, A Prayer of Remembrance. You are we made our way through chapter 8, which is one of my favorite chapters in the book of Nehemiah. And as we read, we saw the people began to respond to the word of God. Remember, they got together and they began to read the word of the God, word of God, and all they had at that time probably was the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, which is called the law, called the law of Moses, the first five books. So when this happened, and they heard the word of God, and the Spirit began to work in their hearts, nothing less than a spiritual revival happened. A spiritual revival happened because after hearing after reading the word of God, and after they gained understanding. Remember, as they were reading the word of God, some of the Levites would go through the crowd and they would give understanding to what was being said. They would help the people to understand what God was saying through his word and through Moses, because if you don't know it, Moses is the author of the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch or the Torah. When you hear someone, someone say Torah, it's usually the first five books. The, the law of Moses. So as they read this and got understanding, it became just a natural step for them to begin to obey God's word. As they understood and realized what God required of them, oh man, but that you justly love mercy and walk humbly before your Lord. When they realized that that was happening, then they started to obey his word, God's word. And the first thing they did right away was they realized what month they were in. And according to God's word, it was time for the Feast of Tabernacles. It was time for them to make booths outside their house, make these little booths of all kinds of trees and limbs and things like that. And I don't know if you remember in season two of The Chosen, they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacle and they made a booth. Anybody remember that? They made a booth outside and they were sitting in it and, and, and it was really cool. They built these booths, and they basically camped out for a whole week. They camped out. They weren't allowed to go in their houses. And why did they do this? They did this to remember the 40 years that the Israelites wandered in the wilderness. 
It was a, a remembrance. They, it brought remembrance of them, not that they were suffering as bad as they did in the wilderness, but they, it gave them a thought, and they did it to remember their wandering. And during their time outside in their little booths, they were able to look up at the stars. They marveled at the greatness of God. They recalled his goodness to the people and children of Israel. And through his grace and mercy, they, they just absorbed it and remembered how God guided them all along through those 40 years. They remembered that their, their clothing never soiled and got old. They never had to wash it. Their, their shoes never wore out. They had manna from heaven, angel food that fell every day. And when they moaned and groaned about the manna, quail fell out of the sky. And they had meat. They had a fire to warm them by night in the cold desert. They had a cloud that covered them by day so they can walk through. They were protected from all the enemies and all the things. And they, that's what they remembered while they were in those booths and, and looking up at the sky and seeing the vastness of God. And we talked about this being out someplace where there was no lights. Someplace where you're out in the middle of nowhere and there's no outside light. You look up, man, there are a lot of stars up there. There is a plethora of stars up there. You like that word? I like that word. And the closer they got to him by doing this, the more they started to worship him. And the more they prayed and the more they gave thanks for all that he had accomplished to their forefathers, the ones who came before them. So as they did this, their feasting, which was a feast of tabernacles, turned into fasting. They started depriving themselves of food because the word of God was bringing conviction to their hearts. They started to deprive themselves from food. As they meditated on God's word, something began to happen in their hearts. And the more they understood the word of God, the more their hearts were convicted of the truth. And the more they were convicted, the more their sins and their iniquities were ever before their eyes. And they saw all this because they were taking their lives and they were placing it and looking at the word of God. Remember, I told you that the word of God is like a mirror. And as you look in there, the word of God shows you, you know, when you look in there, you go, oh, look, where did that come from? Or, you know, all this kind of stuff. Well, the word of God shows you how, for, how, what? how short you have fallen. How short you have fallen from God's perfect commands, from God's perfectness. So that's what's happening in them. And as they went through the process of drawing closer to God, there was a nudging. There was a nudging. And I believe that nudging was by the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit that brings conviction to your heart. Because the Holy Spirit was sent into the world to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, right? So the Holy Spirit was convicting them, and this led to confession. This led them to confession. This is what true revival begins with. True revival begins with the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, leading you to confession, 
And that's what we see happening here. Look at verses one through three in chapter nine. Now on the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were, ga- were assembled with fasting in sackcloth with dust on their heads. Then those of Israelite lineage separated themselves from all foreigners and they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for one quarter of the day. And another fourth, they confessed and worshiped the Lord, their God. Wow. So remember. They just finished celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a seven-day feast. On the eighth day, they gathered in this great assembly before the Lord. God was doing a mighty work in their hearts. And this is what happens a lot of times when you gather with other believers. This is what I would like to see happen every Wednesday night, every Sunday morning, every Monday night. When, when believers gather together and the word of God goes forth, something should be happening in our hearts. As we pay attention and we listen, our hearts should be gleaning from that, those things that the Lord wants to talk with us. Now, during this time, they were fasting, which means they were depriving themselves of food. They were wearing sackcloth, and they poured dust on their head. So what are they doing here? It was a humbling experience. They were humbling themselves before God by wearing sackcloth. Sackcloth is nothing more than a burlap bag. They were in almost like burlap. Can you imagine? Oh, jeez. But they were in burlap. They fasted to prove their humility. They wanted God to know that their sin troubled them as much as it troubled God. They wanted to look at their sin and say, whoa, if my sin is that bad, oh my gosh. And they wanted to be troubled as much as God is troubled over our sin. I love that. Does sin break your heart? Does sin trouble you? I think our sin should trouble us. Now, sin has been forgiven. Don't get me wrong. We've been forgiven by the cross of Jesus Christ. We are covered by his blood. But does that mean I go out and sin willfully? God forbid. Does that mean I want to go out and make grace more abound by sinning more and more? God forbid. No, I don't. Sin troubles me, troubles my heart. And when I am in sin and when I find myself in a sin, my heart should be broken. My heart should be in trouble for God. The sackcloth showed their troubled hearts because of their sin. They took handfuls of dirt and they threw them on their heads, it reflecting a humble attitude of their heart. Humble not only towards God, but towards their fellow man, because they did this publicly. It's one thing to do it privately where nobody sees you, but it's another thing to do it in public where people see you, where people know you. And, and, and I think sometimes that keeps people from coming down for prayer at the end of a service because they don't want to come forward and go, oh, everybody will know that I need prayer. Everybody will look at me and, and they'll know that I need prayer. And I think it's important that we, we do this publicly, that we do that. I mean, what did Jesus say? If you, I'm going to paraphrase, if you declare me before men, I will declare you before the Father. But if you deny me before men, I will deny you before the Father. So it's a public declaration of Jesus Christ. Yeah, confess. Thank you. That's the word I use. Confess. If you confess me before men, thank you. But they did this publicly. Their humility was not a false humility. Their hearts were truly broken when the word of God showed them their sins and their iniquities. Now, Guaranteed, among all these people, they were naysayers. Yeah, guys are crazy. 
We're not going to do that. But the majority of them took part and humbled what they humbled themselves by what they heard in God's word. The majority of them, they were humbled to the point of separation. Remember, it says they separated themselves from the foreigners. They separated themselves from all the foreigners as they confessed their sins of their fathers. Not only were they confessing their sins, but they were going all the way back to the sins of their fathers and confessing their father's sins. So it's almost like they were also owning their father's sins. They were owning their father's sins because they knew how they had acted towards God. And we read that they were stiff-necked, that they, that they, 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 were, they were callous, that they rebelled against God constantly because that's what the word of God told them. The word of God told them about the rebellion at Meribah. The word of God told them about the rebellion here, the rebellion there. The word of God told them about Aaron fashioning a golden calf and they making that their God when Moses was getting the Ten Commandments. That's what the word of God told them. And it was breaking their hearts that their forefathers would act that way. Their forefathers would act and it was breaking their hearts. This is what the word of God does. The word of God should break our hearts. It should show us just how short we fell and have fallen. They read from the book of the law of their Lord, their God, for one quarter of the day. Talk about a Bible study. And then they confessed and worshiped for the next quarter of a day. So for half a day, they were in this assembly, hearing the word of God and worshiping him and giving him praise and honor. This is true revival. This is true revival. When you are so in tune with the word of God that you don't want to stop listening. You don't want to stop worshiping. You want to do nothing but hear the word of God and confess your sins and become holy before your God. That's true revival. True revival. Hearts touched by God's word and people respond with fasting, with demonstrations of humility, and all that leads to confession of sin. All that leads to confession of sin. The first step... To a revival has to be the broken heart, a brokenness of your heart over your sin. And then the Levites, they come in, this gang of Levites come in, and they're now going to lead the assembly into basically a worship service. They've read the word of God. They've heard the word of God. Their hearts have been touched and they're overwhelmed by the word of God. And, and they want to call out and confess their sins. They're putting on sackcloth. They're putting ashes and dirt on their head. They're confessing their sins. They're, they're trying to get themselves right with God. And when you do, there's a natural, natural progression to start worshiping him. When, when, I mean, come on. I don't know about you, but when I finally realized that my sin had been forgiven, when I finally realized what God had done in my heart through Jesus Christ, man, I tell you what, I wanted to worship him. I wanted to give him thanks. I wanted to cry out. I didn't care who saw me or whatever. I just wanted to cry out, thank you, Lord, and worship him for a while. That's what's happening here. And they come into this time. So let's read four through six. Then Yeshua, Benai, Kadmiel, Shebaniah, Buni, Sherebiah, Bani, and Shekaniah stood on the stairs of the Levites and cried out with a loud voice to the Lord their God. And the Levites, Yeshua, Kadinel, Bananiah, Heshabaniah, Sherebiah, Hodijah, Shebaniah, and Petulika, and anybody, 
It said, stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all. Blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. And you have made heavens and heavens of heavens with all their hosts and the earth and everything in it and the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you. Wow. This glorious acknowledgement of God. The greatness of God, the goodness of God, the glory of God, the power of God. You've made heaven and earth. You made all the heavens. You're above everything. You made the entire universe and you keep the universe preserved. You preserve the universe in the palm of your hand. They're recognizing all this. Because why? Because they heard it in the word of God. They read the words, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. And they read Genesis. They read the Genesis account and they believed it. What's interesting is that Paul tells us in the book of Colossians that Jesus Christ was the creator. By him, all things were made, and through him, everything was made that was made, and he held everything together. And I love this. The whole universe was held together by the power of Jesus Christ, by God. Genesis says, in the beginning, God created. The word God here in Hebrew is Elohim, which is plural, the, singular, the Hebrew singular for God is El. The dual sense is Elioi. So Elohim is a plural sense for God. In the beginning, God, a singular word with a plural meaning, so there has to be more than one God. And I believe that there's a hint to the Trinity, right in the very first, birth of the first verse of the Bible, that they would use God in a plural form. God created the heavens and the earth. And when it came to man, it said, let us, let us make man in our own image. Let us, us, again, I will make man after my likeness and my image. No, that's not what he said. He said, let us make man into our image. The divine counsels of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Man was created in the likeness and the image of God. So then John, in chapter 1, takes it and says, in the beginning, the logos, the word, and the word was God, the word was with God, the same from the beginning. The same meaning allos, exactly the same. All things were made by him. Without him, nothing was made that was made. John 1, 1 through 3. Jesus is the active agent in creation. For by him, all things are created. And the all things, it means just that. You take it literally for the things that are in heaven and the things that are on earth. The whole universe was created by Jesus Christ. Things that are visible, things that are invisible. So the invisible material of the universe that you can see, plus that which you cannot see. He has power over thrones and dominions and principalities and powers. All things were made by him and all things were made for him. They were made by him and they're made for him and all the angels of the universe and all these things of the universe. That includes you and me. That includes you and me. We were made for God's good pleasure and for his purpose. People don't like that sometimes. They rebel against that which was given to the capacity to do because when he created you, he created you with a free will and a choice. You were created with his image and God is a self-determination being and thus he created you. Self-determinant, the power of choice. And that was necessary in order that we might have a meaningful relation with him. He wanted us to accept him freely. He wanted us to choose Jesus Christ freely, voluntarily. God demonstrated his love for us by allowing Jesus to die on a cross while we were still sinners. And God wants us to accept him freely. 
If you're in a relationship with someone, you want them to love you because they want to love you, because they're free, not bound by it. Not bound by it. They say, stand up and bless the Lord your God. This is a commandment to every believer who wants to obey God. Every believer should hear these words, stand up and bless the Lord your God. Well, we do that when we sing our songs. We stand, we raise our hands, we sing. They exalt the name of the Lord above all else. And I love that. We love the song above all, above all powers, above all kings, above all nations, and so on, and so on, and so on. Above all, we love that. They praise the Lord. They praise him for what he is. They praise him for who he is. They praise him for his covenant with them. And they praise him for his great deliverance from all the enemies that they came across. They praise him for his tender guidance throughout the history. We should honor him too. We should honor him and praise him just for bringing us here tonight. Just for sustaining us. I don't care how old you are. You're there and here tonight because God has sustained you that long. God has sustained you through your entire life. And he's kept you until this point. He's God alone. There are no other gods like him. So they worship through the reading of the scriptures. And through the praising him aloud, praying him, confessing him, and separating themselves from the things that were not of him. And that's what praise is. Praise is not just singing. Praise is praying. Praise is reading his word. Praise is fellowshipping. Praise is doing those kind of things. It's not just singing songs. We give him praise. They were obedient to God's word. They praised him for creation. They praised him for his providential hand upon them. It's interesting in the New Testament, in chapter 4 of Acts, the apostles were told, don't ever say anything in the name of Jesus. Don't do that. You're not allowed to do that after Peter and John had raised the man at the gate. Beautiful. They went back and they said, and they prayed, And listen to the prayer they prayed. O Lord, thou art God. Thou hast created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. Almost exactly what is being prayed here in Nehemiah. Did they have that on mind when they prayed? I don't know. But it's very, very interesting that this is what they prayed. You are the God who has created heaven and all the hosts, the earth, and all the things that are in the sea and all the things therein. You preserved them all and the hosts of heaven worshiped you. So the host of heaven will be a reference to the angels who are around God all the time. We've been studying that in the book of Revelation. They praised him for his goodness. Now, we're going to read a while. Hang in there with me, okay? We're going to read a little bit. Beginning in verse 7. You are the Lord God who chose Abraham. So they go all the way back. Remember, they just finished understanding the word of God. They just finished understanding Genesis. And in Genesis, what, 10, 11, and 12, Abram is called by God. Abram is called. So they said, "How you are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of the Earl of Chaldees. It's mentioned in Genesis. And you gave him the name Abraham. And that's also mentioned, meant to how now the Lord changed Abraham, Abram's name to Abraham and Sarai's name to Sarah. And a lot of people believe, and I, I kind of like this commentary, is that when they believed Abraham, that ha sound was when the Spirit of God came into him. Sarah, that ha, that, 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 that's, a, that's a sound for the Spirit. They said, you found his heart faithful before you and made a covenant with him. Abraham believed God, and what happened? It was accounted to him as righteousness. It was imputed to him as righteousness. When Abraham believed God's promise, God accounted to him as righteousness. So he found Abraham's heart to be what? Faithful. Who is Abraham to us? The father of? 
Faith? He's the father of faith. He's the father of our faith. And that he made a covenant with him. What kind of covenant? A covenant that would say that your seed, through your seed, all the world would be blessed. He was talking about Jesus Christ. He was talking about our Savior, Jesus Christ. You are Nehemiah 2, 17 through 18 says, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. When Nehemiah wanted to motivate and encourage people to enter into the work of God, he didn't only tell them about the great need in front of them, he also told them of the work God had already been doing. Do you see something that needs doing, that you'd like to bring others along to do the work with you? Pray and step into the work, and when God begins to move in great ways, showcase that for the world to see. You'll find that others want to jump in the work God is already doing, but it does take a person to lead the charge. If you're seeing the need today, that person is you. Thanks for joining us today on A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank. Pastor Dave is making his way through the rich book of Nehemiah, and you don't want to miss a moment of it. One way to be sure you can catch it all is to head over to assurehoperadio.com. Once there, you'll find all the ways you can stay up to date with the current series or go back and revisit another one. Once again, that website is assurehoperadio.com. Well, that's all we have for today. We'll be back with more in the book of Nehemiah next time on A Sure Hope. Show.